Hello, I am Chipo Chipuziwa, and welcome to Performing No Performance. This is a podcast in which I ask performance artists why and how they create the work that they create, and what does studio time mean and look like to them. I am also joined by Live's Brady Seal Marks, who sometimes joins in on the conversation. In this episode, I speak with Nahia Isco performance artist Cheyenne Rand Lagrand. Cheyenne's practice concerns itself with further investigating her identity, and I am honored to have her as my fourth guest. The first question I wanted to ask you is regarding the work which won the BMO BC's category in 2019. Could you help me pronounce it? Yeah, sure. Uh, that work is titled Nihio Isku. Which, to my knowledge, is a video piece in which four performances are shown. One performance takes place in Emily Carr. Another performance takes place at the Seawall in British Columbia, Vancouver. And then the two other performance takes place in Alberta, your hometown. And I wanted to know what was your process especially since you repeated the same action, the same actions, but in various places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, that performance started at Emily Carr. Um, we were actually given a really simple prompt in class about thinking about color and what does it mean to you? So I started thinking about the color red and for me, all of the meanings it holds. Um, like, you know, to a lot of people, when I was rubbing that, that, that red pigment on my body, it looked like blood. Um, it also like symbolized protection to me. Um, I was thinking a lot about this I, racist idea of like red skins. Um, so it's like me rubbing that on my body. Um, and then I'm using this sheer fabric to kind of try to <laughs> wipe it off as well as um, at Emily Carr. Um, I, I wiped my my body and the pigment on the institutional walls. Um, I think I just, I became really aware of my body um, as an Indigenous woman in this institutional space. Um, in these white walls, I wanted to, to rub my body on it. Um, and then I also, I took that performance home to Waviska and I performed um, all of these performances with my mother and that in itself was like so special to me to be able to um, to to perform with her and be with her and create art with her. I feel really lucky. Um, so yeah, we went back home and we were in my Cookham's um, backyard. Um, so we did two there, one in my Cookham's backyard where my uncle Barry helped me builds like kind of a ring of fire um that one particularly was a little risky because the um the fabric was like you know it's synthetic so it could have caught fire at any point but I it's interesting to see my um my performance over time because I used to push my body really far um and yeah so that one was special to me in the backyard because my cook um um, she like came around the back of her house and she watched me and that's the first time she's ever seen me perform. So that was really special. I also performed um, in Wabasca in the winter. Both of those were actually done in the winter. Um, 
So it was kind of cold. But this one in particular was very cold because it was um, in front of the frozen lake. And um, I was also performed in my bare feet. So like when I talk about like pushing my body really far in the beginning of my performance career, I, yeah, like I remember getting into the car with my mom after and like my feet were just like fully thawing out and I've never felt such pain before. I remember like screaming and like humor is like a big part of like um, my family. And so like my mom's actually like laughing because it's just like, what is happening? <laughs> like It was it was a wild experience, but I was OK. I didn't get frostbite or anything, but I did push my body to like the point where I was like, OK, I can't I can't I have to get out of the snow now. Um. But in all the performances, oh, yeah. And then the last one I brought back again to Vancouver and performed in the water along the seawall. Um, I was thinking a lot about uh, different elements. And in each one of those, um, my mother and I are just responding to those environments in those moments. So the sounds that my mother's making are just um, responding to those environments as well as how I'm moving in the space is um, I'm also responding to her, her voice. And yeah, I think the first one, I guess if you think about the same action that I'm doing in different ones, um, the first one, it definitely, it felt like more intense because um, I was in an institutional space and like thinking about just you know intergenerational trauma and in a lot of my performances um, especially at the beginning I often would cry um, because performing is a way for me to uh, feel and like release and 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 heal as well so that one was like really intense for me but again really healing and then to have my mom there is always like just so comforting and special and then to bring it back home, it felt different. It felt like, yeah, it's like always had my mom, my comfort there. But then to have like my cook, I'm watching and those three generations present. And um, I always feel held by the land when I'm there. And so the actions I'm doing are are the same, but they, they feel different and they kind of um, meant something different in those moments. Just wanted to talk more about how making art pieces that require ourselves and our and our mothers to be vulnerable, even though we may have not shared that same experience. Mm. I think um well my mom was an artist and actually one of my biggest inspirations. Um she she can speak Cree and she writes all of her music in Cree and Nihio, Nihio Wiwin. And um, so I feel like um, it just comes really naturally to us, for us to perform together and create together. Um, and I feel really lucky for that uh, to, you know, um, kind of be here on earth together and and getting to, because we collaborate a lot, like, um, recently I had my cookum and um, my mom translate 
uh, Dreams by Fleetwood Mac, which is uh, what you hear me singing in that performance as, as well as in the video. And um, yeah, so it just feels really special. And I feel really lucky um, that I'm able to like collab with my family like that. Another thing that I wanted to ask you was that when I was researching your practice, I noticed that there are reoccurring motifs of considering your body as a mode of research considering your relationship with time and also with an element of endurance put into that. And I think about when you were at the Banff Center and when you weaved together 3,000 and 300 beer tabs together using a rhythm, like rhythm, sorry, ribbon, there you go. Like, <laughs> what was that? What was that process like and like how long did it take you and why did you choose to use beer tabs? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I refer to that shawl as being like a Pepsi slash beer tab shawl. Um, and uh, Pepsi in our culture is like all of the like, you know, everyone just loves Pepsi and it's like, um, like I knew the term is like Pepsi. And so I like to like kind of talk about that, um, like that, like my family and a lot of indigenous people love Pepsi. So that was part of that. And then, and then beer, like um, it was, it's just like both of those things, tabs just in general, like are something I came across every, not every day, but pretty often in my life. And I wanted to use an object that, um, I don't know. I thought about my ancestors and I thought about how they would make um, anything out of anything. And so I wanted to utilize the object that I came across all the time. Um, and I also just love like the the look of it. Um, it felt it felt like armor. It felt, again, like a protection, like um, weaving them the, all of these like metal bits together with ribbon and that shawl really also was like a, a way for me to kind of reclaim something that I felt like I've lost. Like I, um, I don't know how to traditionally dance, but this shawl is inspired by a fancy shawl, which is like a traditional powwow dance. And, um, but then I also wanted to really just speak about it that in a way that was just true to my identity. And I, I really love fashion and, um, that's a similar thing with the moccasins, the moccasin platforms where, I'm, you know, my cookums and my aunties all made moccasins, but in my generation, none of us know how to make moccasins. So I visited my, um, my dad's sister and my aunt, and she taught me to make moccasins and that, and then again, I wanted to kind of create like a hybrid shoe of um, a moccasin platform because um, yeah, if you if you know me, you know I always wear moccasins in or sorry platforms, even probably when I shouldn't be. <laughs> I just love I love a platform shoe. So it just yeah, again, it felt like um it felt important to make a moccasin platform shoe. Um but yeah, like could you repeat your question? I'm just kind of going on a <laughs> so Basically, my question was that I noticed that there are reoccurring motifs of you considering your body as a mode of research, looking at your relationship with time with a hint of endurance. But having heard you speak just now, 
I'm just thinking about the past, those before us, and having that insight and creating something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I feel very thankful to have access to the knowledge. And, you know, it's it's really because of colonization why I've, you know, lost my language and a lot of the traditional practices. But I'm so thankful that I can today, like, you have the opportunity to to learn and to access that knowledge and um yeah yeah I don't know I'm really thankful and building off of that I just wanted to ask you if you've ever felt as if the work you are creating can be read as representing the totality of the culture that you grew up in and if that is the case how have you managed to navigate around it yeah, I've always felt that I cannot speak for all Nihio people, and I never would want to. I can only speak to my experience. And um, yeah, like I, I guess another question I've been asked recently is like, kind of along the same lines is that, um, am I thinking through like pulp cult? pop culture in my practice um and in ways I am uh like I do think about it would be so cool to be uh like a Nihio pop star like a dream of mine would to you know like k-pop a dream of mine would be have like Cree pop and it'd be like me dancing with all these dancers like that's like one of the performances I really really want to do in the future but then have like a Nihio pop song like you know fully in my language um be performing to that so like um but yeah to answer your question I definitely feel like I just speak to my experience here and now um yeah. Before I even begin my next question, I want to acknowledge the magazine Luma Quarterly and the writer Suma Huayan. The writer wrote a beautiful article regarding one of the one of your performances, and in that article, the writer points out similarities between them feeling out of place in Canada and with you living and performing in a new territory. I hope I'm not overstepping when I say this, but I can really relate with what was written. For instance, I have recently become a permanent resident of Canada, and I've been asking myself, what does that mean, the term permanent resident, and especially in relation to stolen land? That work I produced when I was living um, on the territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations, and um yeah the exhibition um curated by Maria Margretta was kind of about yeah like indigenous like indigenous folks living there and um and what that meant you know to be living on a territory that wasn't ours and for me my connection came through um shared knowledge and shared teachings and um I had a my friend Nicole uh had shared knowledge of um a stink like stinging nettle um and so we 
um, we were in like the Deer Lake um, area in Burnaby and we went and we picked nettle together and she shared that knowledge and um, I was so thankful for that and I went home that day and I just like um, she was teaching me about how um, it's actually a, like it's a met traditional medicine and um, how it's often used to help arthritis and um, there's different different uses for it but I went home and then I just like was like I had this instinct that came to me to like want to rub this nettle all over my body and so I had like you know, told her about that after I was kind of processing the day. And she's like, it's so funny you say that because like elders back in the day actually used to bathe in it. And, um, and so then I, I asked her, um, if I could, you know, do this in a performance at Deer Lake and, um, yeah, she came with me and that's where I did that, that video, um, uh, performance, and the the crown that I'm wearing in that performance um, was another um, shared knowledge experience with um, Yaya, and he taught me about a church mission called Hume, and like the colonized world word for it is Devil's Club, and um, he harvested it, and we he showed me how to make tea, um, and after we were done. Uh, there was all of these uh, pieces left and I, yeah, I asked him if I could make, um, make something out of them. And yeah, he allowed me to take the, the remainder and I created a, a crown with it that I performed with as well. So um, my connection um, to that territory and to that land was through shared knowledge, um, shared knowledge of um, medicines, traditional medicines that that grew on that land. And uh, yeah, I'm so thankful um, to Yaya and Nicole for sharing that with me. And um, it was kind of a way for me also to like, to thank, um, to thank the land and to, to thank um, the people who come from that land and, um, yeah, so that performance was really like close to my heart and very thankful for all of the knowledge that was shared with me. You have been busy as of late giving your performances and exhibitions. How are you feeling about it? Uh, Grunt was my first solo exhibition and so to be in that space, yeah, <laughs> to be in that space um was amazing like I I couldn't have imagined a more um supportive space to to have my first solo show so um yeah and I think also like kind of going back to your question about like the the tabs and like how long it took and everything I think it's really important to like um balance if you can balance like um creating and and working with also really just getting to experience um like what makes you happy what brings you joy what what is what is like um caring for yourself because um sometimes when there's a lot going on you forget to do all of those things to make sure that um 
you're doing good. And um, so I, at, at Banff, as much as I was weaving <laughs> that shawl, I was socializing and being in the mountains. And so I think that's really important to me. Um, I'm really thankful for all these opportunities, but also I think it's really important to like um, self-love and self-care too. And um, yeah, I tr I'm trying to do that when things are really, really busy. <laughs> I feel like a question that I asked a previous interviewee was is there a balance between performance art and life and correct me if i'm putting words into your mouth but just based off that answer i feel like you more or less are trying to say there is not like a balance but there is a separation yeah um i think it probably just came in time um but i think in order to be able to create, um, you have to always make those times. I find for myself, if, if I don't, you know, make those times to, um, I don't know, I find then maybe my art practice would, would like, it'd be affected by that. So like by taking care of myself, then I'm able to really, really be present when I perform and, um, performing uh, takes a lot out of you and so also that it's really 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 important to like um take time after you perform I find too um as performing is I don't know I I don't really feel like I perform alone and I perform with my ancestors and um so yeah to take time to process all of that and um I think because my practice has become a healing, healing for me that it, um, I don't know, it's like interesting to think about this idea of like art practice as being work, because ultimately at a certain point, um, I'm really thankful that I'm just doing this full time and um, I'm able to like, you know, make a living off of this right now. And um, it's interesting to think about it as like work too, because it kind of, I guess, has become that, but it doesn't really feel like that to me. Like, I feel like it, it can be a lot, but I feel like I'm able to live my dream. I'm able to, I don't know, it's just wild when I think about like my ancestors and, and like my mom and my cookum and like everything that they've done and everything that they've fought for is that brought me here today. Mm -hmm. And I, I get emotional about it because I'm, I'm so thankful, you know, I feel so honored um, to tell our stories. Like I'm in a generation where I'm strong enough to feel and express and heal. And I feel really lucky and really thankful every day. So, yeah. And I believe that is that for this episode. I would just like to say a big thank you to my guests. And I would also like to say thank you to both Live BNL and the city of Vancouver for funding this project. Thank you.